As you know, we've um, make sure I got the right microphone thing on here. Um, I've been talking a little bit about who we as are as a as a church, and, and following along with some of the conversations we're having within the eldership uh, on on our statement of faith as we as we develop that and and talk a little bit about. Um, where God is leading us as a church, what He what He calls us to, and the ministries that that He calls us to, and um, we've talked about eldership, we've talked about um, the deacons, and um, today I want to talk a little bit about what is a, a minister or, or a pastor. I want to look, maybe get the scripture verse up there. Um, do you have the the scriptures on there? There we go. Let me look at First Timothy four six to sixteen. If you're following along, that's First Timothy four six to sixteen. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them, so that you may see progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this, for by doing so, you save both you and your hearers. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, your word is more precious than gold. Your law is like, is, is sweeter than honey to us, as the psalmist says. Sometimes we, we don't acknowledge that. Sometimes we we get distracted from what you have to tell us. But Father, remind us to be in this word daily, to see the value in it, that you have given us the story of your love for us, the true story of your love for us from beginning into eternity. Father, let the words that I speak be tested by your word and moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, uh, we've talked about the role of, of deacons. We've talked about the role of elders and, and the general roles in, in, in the church. But what about pastor? Where does the Bible talk about the role of a, a pastor? Well, it doesn't. At least not in the modern sense. The role, the modern role of a pastor... It's not found in, in Scripture. This becomes a problem. So again, the, the modern role 
of of pastor, the way we often view what a, a pastor is, is it comes from the modern role of of, of how we view a, a church member, and we've talked about that over the last few week, weeks. But if we have the belief that to be a, a Christian is simply to be a spectator, then in every good show, you have a master of ceremonies, right? You have a lead singer, a lead actor, a ringmaster. So if we have the view that, that being part of the church is simply being a spectator, then it follows that, that, that the pastor is, is the one you watch, is the, is the person you, you listen to, is the one who runs the show. To be the guy in charge. You know, we want that. We want somebody to be in charge so that we can sit back and enjoy the show, right? That might be a very uncomfortable analogy and an uncomfortable way of, of starting the sermon, but, but it is often how we view the role of pastor and, and our role in the church. In many cases, the pastor is the face of the church. You'll see billboards with the pastor's face on it. The first image you see when you click on a, on a website, even churches named after their pastor. When you think of the largest churches in the world, most likely you know the pastor better than you know the church. I mean, think about it. Think about when you watch ministries online, when you listen to, to, to preachers on the radio, when you read their books, you know the preacher. Do you know their church? And if the answer is no, that's a, that's a problem. Because the, the, in reality, even though what we've, what we've kind of cultivated over the last 50, 60 years is, is, is this notion that, that the pastor is, is the church, in reality, the minister is part of the body of Christ. But, uh, but oftentimes, again, when we, when we hear a preacher, we hear them void of the body of Christ, which is a problem. Um, you see, because biblically, that's not how it works. Biblically, we are not spectators or fans of a preacher or pastor. But part of the body of Christ, which is the church, along with that preacher or pastor. Let me say that again. Biblically, we are not spectators or fans, but part of the body of Christ. So according to what we read, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, we are all here, each one, gifted to build one another up. And I'll emphasize all of us. We are all gifted to build one another up. And all, if all you're doing is, is coming to church, watching a pastor on a Sunday morning, and then, and then leaving, not having any part of the body of Christ, how are you building up one another? And if all you're doing is, is, is coming to church just to watch that pastor, and not, not have a relationship with anybody else, would that pastor, that preacher is going to fail you. And I'll, and I'll give you an analogy. Think of it this way. If I'm building a house, I go to the builder and I say, okay, I want you to build this house for me. 
And he says, yeah, that's, that's great. I will do that. Look, I'll, I'll get my crew together. Here's all the contractors I use. Here's the roofer I use, the plumber I work with, the electrician, the architect. And then I say, wait, 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 wait. What's, what's all that stuff? No, no, I said I want you to build the house. Well, that builder's going to fail. Because they need all of those other people there. But if you say, look, I just want you to build that house. I want you to do the electrical. I want you to do the plumbing. I want you to do the roofing. I don't want you to involve anybody else, and I want to watch you do it. That builder's going to fail. Because he's not meant to do it on his own. The biblical role of minister, we find that here in Timothy. He says this, Paul charges Timothy with this, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, exhortation, and the teaching. That's the role that he has given Timothy over the church that that Timothy has has been overseeing. (coughs) Um, So I want to break this down, looking at these three aspects. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and the teaching. And of course, in in my mind, the way it works, I didn't go in order there. Um, But but again, we've discussed the role of deacons. They're the ones who who look after the day-to-day running of the church. Feeding of of the widows, the, the social justice ministries, the health ministries. The finances, the building. We laid out the elders were responsible for overseeing, for the general overseeing of the church in, in spiritual matters, in prayer. Remember James, it says that, that when somebody is sick, you go to the elders for prayer, for care, for spiritual care. That's the elders. And then you have Timothy, who's probably one of the best examples of a minister in the early church. Why do we know this? Because Timothy, he wasn't an apostle, like a little a apostle. He wasn't sent out. He was an evangelist. It says, do the work of a, Paul says, do the work of an evangelist to Timothy. Um, but only to where he was. He was called to set up a church. So his role in that, once the elders and the deacons had been established, was here, what Paul says. He says, now devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and to teaching. So this public reading of Scripture kind of ties in the, in the teaching. But there's, a, there's an element in this, which is discernment. 2 Timothy 3 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred things which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So you see what's happening here. He's saying, do all of these things. Devote yourself to Scripture, to the public reading of Scripture. Why? Not so that you can bring in an audience. Not so that you can um, entertain people. 
but so that those who are hearing will be equipped to do every good work. So it's not saying the person preaching is the only one doing the work. It's saying they're equipping those who hear to go out and do that work. Knowing and learning and holding firm in all these things, a minister needs to know to be in the Word so that they have something to hold firm to. And then there's this part about, um, about discernment, about guarding and warning against deception. When we talk about elders, that's, that's part of their role as shepherds. But, but it's to be able to protect the flock. To be able to say, hey, look, look around you. There are those who, who we deceive. And the devil is the, the father of lies. It's knowing the word well enough to be able to guide and, and teach through it. And he says, persist in keeping a close watch on your teaching. The word there is also doctrine, a word we don't like often. But it's simply what we know of Scripture, what we know of God. He says, keep a close watch on that. And by doing so, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it's to encourage people as well into going out, but in going out with discernment and an understanding of the truth of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 6, 20-21 says this, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And this is a huge challenge. Because often what is popular, often what is, is, is heard most loudly, is what is false. And to be able to, to be in the Word and, and challenge people to be in discernment, especially today, becomes an increasingly difficult task. Because sometimes what you have to say is very unpopular. You know, we, we've read... Jeremiah recently. We, we, we listened to, to the word through Jeremiah. We know of Elijah. You know, preaching the word, if done correctly or done biblically, very rarely results in everybody saying, Yeah, that's great, that's wonderful, because this is convicting. This is difficult. And so what we see in, in Scripture, when, when Jeremiah shares the word of God, he gets thrown in the stocks. When, when Elijah shares the word of God, he gets driven out and, and chased. And, and not to mention everything that happens to Acts, who those, to those who faithfully preach the word of God. It's not a lot different than today. It's still just as unpopular today to preach the truth of God. It's a difficult thing. I'm going to look at this, this exhortation. What is exhortation? Teaching on how to live with your gifts. At least that's the context we have in Timothy. That's what Paul charges Timothy to do. Um, we look at Ephesians 4. 4.11. 
And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers, so that, this is important, so that, or to, equip the saints for the work of ministry. Let me read that again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the body, for the building up of the body of Christ and encouragement. This is off a, a very different way than we look at church today. So, so when we when we think about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, we, we think about the people who who work within a church. And most of the time, we think about the people who are up here on a Sunday morning. We think about the people who maybe run the Sunday school ministries, or, or the people who run ministries during the week, and, and we think about what they provide and how we come to enjoy that, how we're filled by that, and, and, and we're encouraged by that. But in this text, it says all of that exists to equip you to do ministry. Whether that's ministry in your home, whether that's ministry in your workplace or amongst your friends, it's not about coming and being a spectator. It's about going out to do the work of ministry. See, ministry, your ministry even, exists to equip others for the work of ministry. Let's look at this. Say Say my gifting is evangelism. Right? And I have the gift of evangelism. Now, our modern perception would be, all right, this guy has the gift of evangelism. He's the one who goes out and does evangelism so that we don't have to, right? But just because you're not called to be an evangelist doesn't mean you're not called to share the good news sometimes, right? Just because you are not called to be an evangelist doesn't mean you won't have situations where you need to tell somebody about the good news of Jesus. So that guy that does evangelism, he's also the guy that equips you to do evangelism. I mean, this is one of the things that, that Andrew, we have come out and, and teach on, on evangelism. This is one of the things that, that he says. Yes, he goes out and he does evangelism. But part of his role as, as an evangelist is to come and share with other people how they can do that. So that's one area that we majorly miss the mark when we do evangelism by inviting somebody to, to see a pastor or, or to go to an event. That's not biblical evangelism. Never once in, in Scripture was that the way that evangelism was done. That is totally unbiblical. Never happened in the Bible. If somebody comes to you and, and they need to hear the gospel in that moment, you are called to share with them. Not not at an event later in time, but in that moment. So the evangelist is called not only to do evangelism, but also to equip the body of Christ to do that as well. The gift of administration. Not all of us are administrators. I can definitely say that. (laughs) But there are times in our lives when we have to do administration. That's one of the gifts. So the person who who has that gift equips you to do that when you need to do that. The gift of helping, right? We're not all called with that gift, but sometimes in life we we need to help. I pray that you see that. Again, 
affirmation of why the church is not just one person. Why the body of Christ isn't a bunch of silos, but a body working together. So that's exhortation, encouraging and teaching into the gifts that people have. One of the most discouraging things is that modern view that we have, often, of church. Because it says that these people up here on on stage on a Sunday morning, they are the church. They're the only ones that can be doing things. I don't have that gift. I I can't can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I, I can't preach. So I don't really have a role in the body of Christ except to be as a spectator. And then you go home, you go to your workplace, and, and you have people around you who need, need to hear the gospel. You are the church in that moment. You don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to be a worship leader. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be called to any of that. <clears throat> That's exhortation. And if the, the role of a minister, it's the role of anybody behind the pulpit to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to remind people of that good news, that we are saved by grace through faith in Him so that you then can go out and share that same message. Second Timothy 2, 14-16 Remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only wounds the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. See these words, remind them, charge them before God. First Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Do you see what's happening here? It's... It's this call on Timothy to to charge the people, his hearers, with the word of God. Again, not an easy thing. Not an easy thing to be to be convicted or or, or to be challenged or, or changed. So often today what we have in preaching is is what we want to hear. Again, I've I've mentioned this before, but I think Google is probably one of the the, the worst things for the Christian faith. Because this challenges us. But if I Google sermon on whatever I want to hear, right, I'll get the answer. I'll, I'll, I'll get to hear a sermon that says exactly what I want to hear, not something that challenges me. Or I can, I can go into the Christian bookstore and I can see DVDs and they're separated into categories and I say, well, this, this I agree with, so I'll buy this. I'll watch this. Challenged, and if we're never challenged, we're never moved. And if we don't move, we don't go out. And finally, teaching. And again, this is part of that public reading of Scripture. Because what are we teaching from? Not from our own opinions. Not from what is popular. But from what is in the Word. 
Why is this important? This public reading of, of Scripture. To teach out loud. Um, I don't think we, we understand this. You know, we read the Bible silently most of the time. You know, if we, if we go out, maybe maybe we go out in public, or we go out to the park or something, we might just, you know, that's a great space to read the Bible. Maybe we do it in our, our bedrooms, or, or outside, or in our living rooms, wherever. We read it silently most of the time. And we think that's kind of how it is meant to be read. The first mention we have of reading the Bible silently is the writings of a, a theologian named Augustine. He was writing about a friend, another theologian named Ambrose, and he, and he had this huge problem with Ambrose. He thought Ambrose was the most rude, insensitive guy that he had ever met. And these are two theologians who are supposed to be friends, and, and, and Augustine is actually writing this, this book that, that other people are going to read, and he's talking about Ambrose and how terrible and rude Ambrose is. Do you know why? Because he was reading the Bible and he wasn't reading it out loud. Because that wasn't something that was done in that time. The Bible, if you, if you read it, or if you were reading any book, it was very, very rude to read it silently to yourself. In fact, that was never done. If you read something, it was read out loud. So we know, even around that time, which is about 400 AD, 370 years after the time of Jesus, that reading silently was not something that was done. In fact, some historians believe that wasn't common until even the 17th or 18th century. So that means that what we're reading in here was never meant to be kept to ourselves. This was never meant to be read simply for ourselves in quiet devotion. This, this, these words were meant to be proclaimed, to be read out loud. So if you are reading these in your family, with your family around, read it out loud. If you can read this to yourself, which is a great thing to do, don't get me wrong, and, and I, I, I read the scriptures to myself when I read, if you're willing to do that, I would challenge you, find space to read it publicly as well. Find space to read it to your children, to your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, co-workers. This is meant to be proclaimed. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, so that believers will be equipped for every good work. So why wouldn't we read this? Why wouldn't we proclaim this? It's breathed out by God. It is the capstone and the reason I mean, if this is true, of course Scripture should be read out loud and proclaimed. It should be taught. I mean, if you're, you're reading the Word of God and He has spoken to you, he hasn't, he hasn't just spoken to you, He's given you a word to speak. You know, these letters, this is one of the things that, that we often, um, I, I hear this argument a lot, like, 
people will say, well, you know, Paul's, Paul's letter to, to this or Paul's statement to this is just for that church in that time. That is not true. When we understand the nature of Scripture, how it was meant to be read. And, and once Paul would write one of these letters, the church that received it would then pass it on to the other churches because it was meant for every church. For all people, for all time. All of Paul's letters were passed around to the other churches to be read. And, and later on, as it, they kept getting passed on for hundreds of years, they were important. And they matter then and they matter today. Every word that is written in them. Scripture is important. Romans 10.15 says this. This is where the teaching part of that comes in. How will they know unless somebody preaches? How will you know Scripture? How will you know this, this true story of God's love for us if you don't actually hear it? If no one actually preaches it? How can they preach unless they are sent, Paul says in Romans 10.15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the role of anybody who stands behind the pulpit is to share this good news. And you might say, yeah, but I've heard it every Sunday of my life for the last, whatever, 50, 60, 70 years maybe. But it never is enough to hear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I've been told that I say that verse too many times. I've been told that I, I, I say Ephesians 2.8 too many times. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. I do not believe that we can hear that too many times. And it's not for us as an audience but it is for those that we speak to throughout the week. It is not to bring people into this church on a Sunday morning. It is not to increase the numbers of membership. But it is so that every single person in this church would know that so well. That when their kids ask, that when their grandkids ask, their, 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 their relatives, their co-workers, that they have an answer. Each one of you. So that the church is not about the people standing up here. But it is about those who are sent out and equipped with that gospel message. That is the role of anybody who stands behind the pulpit, who leads in worship. <clears throat> to make it so that, that we are equipped to go out with the good news of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we, we can complicate that. And, and maybe there's a, there's a lot more to it, and I, I tend to complicate things as well, if you know me. But if you can pare it all down to that Romans 5 truth, that Ephesians 2 truth, and take that out, that is our call, Matthew 28. That's how we make disciples of all nations, by teaching them everything that he has commanded. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
us. Father, challenge us. It's not the words of a, a preacher. It's not the words of a worship leader or, or a worship song or, or a Christian author. But your words to go out and, and let us be renewed and equipped by your word. Let us be encouraged to be in your word. Not for what is popular or what is common, but for what, for what grows us, for what moves us. Not for what leaves us in the place we are, but for what challenges us to go. For you have called us in your commission. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, to make disciples of all nations. Father, remind us of that call and that we can be equipped and filled to do that. Father, for myself, that you would cast away any vanity or desire for myself or distractions as minister here that I would seek to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified there is no greater message there is no greater good news Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. That even while the, the, the greatest of us, the greatest amongst us, even while those who might say, I've, I've, I've grown up in this faith, I, I've, I've always gone to church, but even while they were still sinners, even while we were still sinners, each one of us, Christ died for us to show God's great and immeasurable love for us there is no greater message and we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness Amen